Welcome, everybody, to the 36th episode of the Dunkin' with Dom podcast. It's me again, Dominic Chapone, joined again by a first-time guest, Zach Dito. Zach, you're all the way in California right now. Obviously, you just saw the Bucks suns game. What are your initial thoughts? And first off, welcome to the pod. Thank you. Thank you, Dom, for having me. That game was crazy, man. The dunk by Giannis at the end, wow, that really sealed the game. And... I really dislike both of these teams as they took out, as the Suns took out the Lakers and Bucks took out the Hawks, my top two favorite teams. But I, I do dislike the Suns more, so I am very, very ecstatic right now that the Bucks won. So that, that's like how I'm initially feeling. Uh, what about you? Well, well, first off, it's a good good way to pay homage to the Lakers that I haven't seen them playing basketball in about two months. So I just want to get that out there. Uh, I haven't said that in a while. Um, I'm I'm pretty shocked indeed. I think this is one of the most memorable Game 5s ever for an NBA Finals. And this has happened before time and time again historically, A. B, this was a roller coaster of a game. Phoenix goes up, you know, 20 by the end of the first quarter. The Bucks shoot the lights out in the second quarter. They go up like 10 by like the fourth quarter. And then Phoenix comes back in it. And all of a sudden, it's this back and forth game that you saw the ending. The last five minutes felt like forever. No, it really did. And Giannis was missing his free throw, yes, too. That was honestly really astounding to me. I, I think where I want to start with this game in particular was the big three from Milwaukee. Because I feel like for this entire series, they were never consistent together. They did not all have the same good game on once. Drew Holiday... I, I would agree. Today, though. Today, though, I was, like, looking at the box score and stuff and, like, the way they performed. Like, uh, they were all – they all contributed, all had 20-plus point games. Uh, Drew Holiday's steal led to Giannis's alley-oop dunk for the and one. Uh, And together, their chemistry looked a lot better. Chris Middleton was playing pretty consistently, which is something we haven't seen a lot from him uh, in the playoffs. So that that's always a great uh, spark for the Bucks. Um, so yeah. That- well, and and the other thing that we haven't even touched on yet—that's the first thing for me. Drew Holiday shooting well from the field in a playoff game, which I feel like we haven't said at all for the last two months or so. Yeah, yeah he really has been kind of quiet these this whole postseason. Uh, it's usually either Giannis is dropping forty plus, or Middleton goes off in the fourth quarter, or something along those lines there hasn't really been too much about drew holiday's contribution that's been all over the media so i think like this all having 20 plus point games is definitely going to get uh drew holiday's more recognition especially with his good field goal percentage and good shooting and it's everything too it was his best all-around playoff game besides maybe that game six against the hawks 27 points 13 assists Superb defense on Chris Paul this whole game. Yeah, the the last steal that that like that probably gave him the win, honestly. And and if even even the even the defense against Devin Booker, like on that shot where like the Suns cut to three, and some of those last minute like shots that Phoenix gets off, Drew Holiday's all over it. Like there is no yeah. that's the shot you want is a contested long two or three pointer from Phoenix. The other thing, and as you point out, it was all three of them. Middleton had a great game, 29 points. Horrible in the first half and immaculate in the second half. Giannis, for all the free throw struggles and him seeming quiet out there, a 32-9-6 in the game. So, again, their big three all showed up, and I think you can agree here. That's probably why they won this game. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that, man. Like, uh, if, if they all play together, well together, they're going to be a good team. That, that's probably why they have been struggling a little bit. That 
like why the Hawks series went into six, why they did lose their first two. It's usually one of them's inconsistent. Like Middleton was playing really bad the first couple games of the series, but then uh, one once they both are like if they all play well together they're gonna they're gonna be unstoppable well and you bring up a good point the issue has been in every playoff game especially in these here finals up to game five it's always been one or two of them showing up in game in games one through games one two and four drew holiday was terrible offensively in game i think it was two or three middleton just did not exist and then game one Giannis was one and two middleton did not exist Giannis at least like game two, game two, Giannis was the only one who did anything. That's why they still lost. Yeah. Giannis had forty-two points by himself. His teammates didn't contribute. Like that's tough having a forty-point loss, like a forty-point loss in in the NBA Finals. And I guess that you could feel for that for Devin Booker. And so, did he have forty tonight? I know he was close. Booker tonight was, I think, he was close. He was, he was exactly forty. He had exactly forty yeah, points. So, so a similar thing. Well, that's actually crazy. To also, I, I was just looking at something the other day. It was like Giannis became like the third player or something in NBA history. Uh, maybe not in NBA history to get forty plus points back to back games in the NBA Finals. Oh, uh, since Shaq, um, you have to go back to like Shaq. Like we're talking yeah, like that type of dominance. Did it LeBron did it, I think, in 2016. It, it's it's an insane it, – it's something and, I've touched upon the pod a couple times in these episodes is that Giannis has taken a leap compared to other postseasons. It, it's not even like a stats thing because like, even stats-wise, stats are always either going to be exactly the same or slightly improved. It's the confidence. Like even from – him posting up like this little turnaround jumper off one leg, the aggressiveness to like you know go to the hoop and not pass so often to you know shooters and more like take the contact, draw an and one, go for a foul, whatever. All of that we didn't see. I remember when we faced him in Miami or uh, uh, against my team in the bubble, he wasn't like this at all. This is like a new Giannis uh, for sure. The other thing that I think is super important for this team is that they finally had a good a good all-around night. They shot 50% from three, which they hadn't done, I think, any game so far, except for maybe game three. They were, like, su- super inefficient every other game except for this one. They made basically almost 60% of all their shots, which I think is very impressive. And even all their role guys stepped. I mean, uh, P.J. Tucker was great again defensively. Brooke Lopez was four of six. Bobby Portis had two threes. Pat Connaughton, unsung hero. Four of six from uh, the lo- behind the line or behind the three point line. He did have a big. He did have a big three late game too. Um, he, that gave that extended the Bucks lead. Uh, I think it came around like the three minute mark or something like that. And and even midway through the fourth quarter, the Bucks would be up six, and he'd make a three to be up nine or whatever. Like he would just kill yeah. any Phoenix momentum down the stretch there. And yes. I think it's a big. It's a good. It's a good thing if you're Milwaukee right now because now you're heading back home for a game six, and you're coming off your best all around win so far. Yeah. I mean, speaking of P.J. Tucker, though, defensively, uh, I know he did get into foul trouble today. I, I, I didn't get to watch most uh, the first – I didn't get to watch the first half. So I don't know exactly how he was playing, but from what I saw, uh, I think he needs to be pl- playing a little bit better watching his foul count because uh, that, that would – I feel like that could cost him as he is such a, a, a contribution on the defensive end like going forward. Well, and that's the one thing with Milwaukee that I always fear is that they're basically playing eight guys right now. If you look at the last, like, four games, they're playing – they're starting five and then Portis, Teague, and Connaughton. So if we saw today, like, in the first quarter, Drew Holiday gets in foul trouble, they got to put Jeff Teague in. And yeah, you don't want Jeff Teague playing at all 
more so eight minutes or seven minutes or whatever it is. So you do have a good point, especially with that P.J. Tucker spot because they do have Portis to go in there, but Portis, I mean, he's 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 Portis. I, he's not special. He's nothing too crazy. He's a role guy. You you want Tucker out there, I think, probably more so than anybody else. The interesting thing was that I want to focus now on Phoenix's perspective because if you're Phoenix, um, this is a pretty disappointing loss. You shoot very well from the field. You shoot... 68% from three. You only take 19 attempts, but you make basically all of them. And you come away with this thing and, like, you just wasted another good Devin Booker game. Chris Paul plays, like, pretty pretty well. Aiden has a great game. He plays 45 minutes. Crowder's hitting three-pointers, and, you know, he's playing great defense. And you blew another one, a winnable game at home. Their second game in a row, arguably, where they could have won this game. Yeah, no, definitely. Especially with Devin Booker, you have to feel for him, man. He he had forty two in game in game four, and they ended up losing. Game five, he had forty, and they ended up losing. Like playing this well in his first playoffs, uh, that that's really impressive. And like going forward, uh, like in game six, uh, I I think his teammates around him, like they definitely need to step up defensively. Um, for sure, I would. Like, 123 points in a game. I mean, I know in modern NBA that's starting to become more common, but they should not be allowing that. Like, um, like they definitely need to be stepping up and uh, on the defensive side. Because offensively, like, they are playing well, like you said. Um, so, yeah. And the thing is that this was a damn near perfect game for Phoenix. As dumb as it sounds, it was kind of like pretty decent in terms of turnovers. Only had eight on the game compared to the 17 they had the previous game. Um, again, Chris Paul goes 9 of 16. Booker 17 of 33. Aiden, Paul, and Booker all score north of 20 points or at least 20 points. Bridges and Crowder hit a combined five of seven from behind the line or from behind the three-point line. Cameron Johnson shoots two threes. And you still lose. And I think the the problem, the interesting thing yet again for Phoenix that I found was Chris Paul was a minus six on the game and Cameron Johnson was a minus 19. Those two guys are two of your best seven guys. And, and those were co- uh, correlated with non-Booker minutes. So in other words, when Devin Booker was on the court and those two guys, or was off the court and those two guys were on the court, Phoenix lost momentum. And we're seeing it yet again, where I think the problem with Phoenix is that outside of Booker, there is no consistent secondary shot creator. And we, in, as much as I love Chris Paul, because he had a way better game this game, don't get me wrong, even though he still looks like 90% of himself, something's definitely wrong, injury-wise or fatigue or whatever. But this happened in game four, this for sure happened in game three, and now it's happened another game again, Phoenix's offense just takes a crap. And even though they scored 119 points, it, you, you can see it watching the game, especially that second half, Phoenix's offense completely stalls. The, there's one key component in their offense that, like, I think that should be more addressed by Phoenix, and that's Mikhail Bridges. Uh, he, he only had 13 points tonight, but if you look at the numbers, he was 5 for 6 from the field, shooting 3 for 3 from 3-pointers. Three if they can get the ball to him more, I, like, I really like Mikhail Bridges and his play style. Um, if they can get the ball to him more, I think that he's – like one of their better scorers like he'll make a shot if you can kick it out to him outside like if you play high low action with Aiden like if he gets it inside and then someone has to come down pinch he can kick it out Mikhail Bridges he'll knock it down and you could see that like three for three from three pointers today and uh and most or I saw a couple of them off of kickouts like 
that's just I feel like the kind of play style Phoenix should be looking at more than just Booker trying to uh, do everything because like, yeah, no, as you point out, the offense toward the parts of the game is just give the ball to Booker and everyone stand in the corner. That's literally what it's become, especially in when like they just stop moving. There's times where like it's like if it's not Booker, who else? And I think this is a wasted opportunity yet again for Phoenix. I think this was a winnable game. They they had the lead the whole. They were either in the lead or close to it the whole time. You get off to a strong start in the first quarter. You're, they're all missing layups. You know, Phoenix is hitting all their three pointers, and they the they took their uh, foot off the gas there for a bit. It seemed like, and you saw that ending of the game there. It seemed like Milwaukee crushing them on the glass, hustle plays, uh, transition opportunities, all that sort of stuff, and that's probably why they won this game. Yeah, um, definitely. Um, so, what are your thoughts heading into Game Six? Obviously, because Milwaukee's back at home now for the next game there's always the famous saying with a final series that it doesn't start until a, a road team wins and now here's milwaukee where their role players arguably play better at home they've got all the momentum right now winning three in a row and they have to just win one more with two chances do you think milwaukee closes it out personally i think this series is going to go to seven as much as i would like milwaukee to win uh in game six I just don't see them winning four in a row, nor do I see anyone beating the Suns four in a row. I think Devin Booker is going to come out, play really well like he has been the last two games. I think Chris Paul's leadership is really going to show through in game six because in game four, he was playing – he he shot like one of his – I think it might have been – I don't want to say any wrong facts here, but I think it might have been his worst shooting. Uh, it, it was one of his worst games ever for sure. Yeah, one of the worst ever, definitely the worst in the playoffs. Um, today he did get better uh, with nine for fifteen, but he did miss a lot of shots down the uh, down the stretch that could have helped him win. I think we're going to see a lot more from Chris Paul in the next game um, as well, and hopefully he can lead uh, the young core uh, to a game six win and force it to seven, where they have a chance to close it at home. Um, but uh, on the buck side of things. Uh, I think that what they've done by uh, winning three straight has been really impressive. And I, um, so, yeah, like if they can win four like, and Giannis can go off, I, I want to see when the, if the Bucks win in six or seven, I want to see the, their win have Giannis absolutely just go yeah, off. Like a 45, 15, and seven type thing where he crushes exactly. them. Yeah. yeah, so I want to see. Uh, either Booker or Giannis have an absolutely standout game because I feel like that's what that, this is like the future of the NBA almost because they're both under 25 like, years old um, and they're they're just playing the top of their game like I think what I'm looking forward to is as you point out what is the sense of urgency for both teams? Because if you're Milwaukee, I think if you don't win this game, I'm going to say this on the record right now. If they don't win game six, I don't think they win game seven. I think, really? I think always with game sevens, I think having the home crowd, I don't trust Milwaukee's guys. I think heading into today, I still think that they don't have, it, it's just hard when PJ Tucker's only playing 20 ish minutes and their next guy off the bench besides Pat Connaughton is Bobby Porras and Jeff Teague. I think that they're what's making them so good is the momentum. They have built a sense of momentum. If Phoenix can recover, 
if, if you let Phoenix recover, I think they'll squeak out the series. Because, again, we're talking about two back-to-back games here where you can make a case Phoenix should have won. Especially Game 4. Because Game 4, I think that was a... They played terribly, and yet they almost squeaked out the win anyway. Minus outside of Devin Booker, at least. I think if... I'm going to go again on the record and say if Milwaukee doesn't win this game, I, or this next game, I don't think they'll win the series. I just think that Phoenix will have the poise, the maturity, the whatever to uh, etch it out. I got to ask you here, because you saw part of this game, how does Chris Paul look to you, like in terms of like movement and all that sort of stuff? Because people are saying that he doesn't look 100% healthy, and I kind of believe it. I think for him putting up a 21-11 and 11 on the night, he it was the one of the worst 21-11 and 11 games I've ever seen, because he just looked like partially ineffective and like kind of like bogged down by the Chris Middleton, uh, Drew Holiday pairing on defense. Yeah, um... So, personally, I think Chris Paul definitely looked better this game than last game. However, I still think he has a lot better potential, which is one of the things I was speaking of. Like, I, th- I think that's something a lot more to look forward to going on to game six. Um, from what I saw, though, he did have a pretty big three-pointer down this, down in the last couple minutes. And um, he... Uh, I wish I saw more of the game. I didn't see him doing too much offensively because Booker, what? When Booker's having such a good game, like he has been having the past two games, it's kind of hard not to let him do his ISO. For sure, yeah. Especially down the stretch, which is the part I watched of the game. So I I would definitely say that that I would have needed to see his full game. But from what I've seen, he's fully healthy. And... uh, so so is Giannis. Like they they both are coming off of uh, injury slash COVID, um, but they're both they both were pl- have been playing pr- pretty well. Like they both look really healthy. So I think the other thing I'm looking forward to in this game is the legacy impact because I I think what we're gonna s- we're seeing as always with these NBA Finals how they define like player legacies and how they go down in, in history, especially with. A guy like Giannis, again, back-to-back failed playoff blunders. I mean, Toronto 2019, up 2-0, completely lose the next four games, the free throws, blah, blah, blah. Bubble, favorite to come out of the East. A, a Miami team that, you know, has a bunch of, you know, 20-year-olds running around with their heads cut off. Steal that series in five games. Now you're looking at this postseason where they've got everything falls in their place. Brooklyn's not healthy. Philly flounders. Atlanta's Atlanta. It's like whatever. And now you're in a position right now where the West comes out great. No Los Angeles Lakers or Clippers. You've got this Suns team that's fr- that great. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you've got you've got this Suns team that's very frisky, but isn't it? Chris Paul and Devin Booker are, they cracked the top fifteen and maybe the top ten if you're on a good day, but nothing like beyond that. This is a good chance for Giannis to like now if he wins this, he's the best player on a title team. If you're on Phoenix's side. Uh- would also say he's probably the best player like I, i've been seeing this in a lot of places i would honestly go as far as to say he's one of the best player one of the best not the best player in the league at currently if he wins this title it's and if he does have another 40 point game or something like crazy like that because doing what he's doing in this postseason is just unbelievable and that he's playing as a superstar level. Like I think yeah. that Giannis deserves to win, but I also feel like Bucker deserves to win. So did, yeah, well, but. even even for as much as he's been, he's had his fair share of blunders. Chris Paul, I mean, 
he's the ultimate floor raiser franchise point guard ever, especially where like teams do so much better when he's there and so much worse when he leaves in the regular season. Characterized by injuries and poor timing in the playoffs time and time again, especially in this this tw- this like 2010s era. This is his first time in the finals and you know it's been mixed re- results so far. Game 1 fantastic game. Game two, pretty decent. Game three and four is atrocious. And then game five kind of recovers here. This is a legacy building game for Chris Paul. Because people, yeah, there, I, I'm a huge believer. And this is like, I think you can believe this too in winning bias. Where I think when when a certain team wins, it's always the opposite team that gets like the why they lost. And people, when they see this series, if Milwaukee wins, they'll look to that Chris Paul game four tripping over the pick and roll to give the, uh, to give the Bucks the win. They'll think about... The game, uh, four, game three and four performance where he looked like kind of lost and you know tired and he he like you know deer in headlights thing, and people will forget the Devin Booker dropping forty points in back to back playoff games, and on the flip side, if you're Milwaukee, I mean, if you lose you lose this series, this is a golden opportunity that you've blown completely. Yeah. Especially when you consider that Philly's going to retool their roster, Brooklyn will be a hundred percent healthy. Yeah, exactly. Like if if. Uh, if the Bucks do not win this year, I don't see them coming close to getting a title in the next in any amount of years. May, maybe in a few years if the big three somehow doesn't perform for the Nets. But um, I really don't see them having this kind of an opportunity again with a three to two lead in a final series. I don't see them having this kind of an opportunity. Yeah, for sure. I agree. There. And again, this is going to be a huge game for sure. I think this might be. Do you think you're on the sand that Phoenix will probably win this game, right? There'll be a game seven. I, I do. I do believe that. But also before the series even started, uh, my prediction was Phoenix would take the first two, Bucks would take the three after that, then Phoenix, then Bucks. So I've I've been saying this exact thing all along that I think Bucks will win it in seven, and that I think that the last three games were all going to be road wins. But. Well, speaking of speaking of predictions, we we did make a little gamble uh, ahead of this pod that if Milwaukee won Game Five, uh, you would gun a beer uh, on the pod live here. So you know, might as well get it over with now. Uh, crack it open, Zach. This is to all the Bucks fans out there. Um, Jeff Teague, Zombie Jeff Teague, Pat Connaughton, Bobby Big Eyes Portis, all you Bucks fans. This one's for you, bro. <laughs> I, got, I got the shotgun. All right, ready to go. <laughs> Oh, with the teeth and everything, perfect. Look like. <laughs> All right, let it fly, Zach. Let's go. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, Zach, gunning the beer right now. Again, as Milwaukee etches out a very good win here in Game Five. Uh, with the burp and all, too perfect technique. Let's go. Um, we can move on to some off-season stuff here because I've done this for the past couple pods, but I kind of want to also touch on uh, some off-season topics. Not uh, this time, I want to focus away from the draft because I want to just do some team-based stuff. Um, just because again, I think I want to kind of introduce it. It's crazy because once the finals end, we've got like a week and a half before uh, the draft starts, and then free agency a week after that. So things go by pretty fast here. Uh, the first place I want to start with is Los Angeles with, with your Lakers team, because obviously a disappointing season indeed. A lot of their free agents I thought would be good weren't, especially yeah. Drummond, Wes Matthews, some of those guys. On the one hand, you have to be like, hey, if AD and LeBron were healthy 100%, the Lakers probably win the title. I would think at least. On the uh, other yeah, that's, what, that's what I would have said. Or the Nets. If we were looking at no injuries, either Lakers or Nets, that would have been the finals, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. But, um, yeah, I got a question before we get into this real quick for you. 
do you think if Suns win, they're going to be remembered as like a Mickey Mastering because of all the injuries they've had to face with the Lakers, no Kawhi, no no, uh, no uh, Donovan Mitchell? Um, so my stance with every title is I hate doing the asterisks or Mickey Mouse things. I think injuries are part of the game no matter how you put it. Because you always have to look at every title by a year-by-year basis. Like, I would argue that the 2020 postseason bubble thing has more substance than this postseason. Because, again, for as much as it was weird as hell, every team had the same circumstances, same yeah, schedule. Yeah. This one was completely different. I mean, with the COVID being random as hell. Like, Chris Paul missing the Western Conference semifinals a couple games. Or, you know, like tonight where even, like, a Bucks had assistant coach and Thanos Th- Th- was out of the game. All that random stuff you can't put it, especially with the injuries too. Just of how out of out of out of nowhere and the rate of them going up for the superstars, at least. There were a lot like uh, on both sides, like Trey Young. I mean, obviously Giannis to get injured. Yeah, Trey Young, the Nets, even the- Kyrie and James. That that's the big one for me because I think if you're the Nets, you probably you know you at least make the finals if even Harden or Kyrie, one of them is healthy. Imagine both of them. Yeah. So if I had to give you a final answer. I would say that I don't think there's going to be a Mickey Mouse sign or anything like that because people don't do that historically. I, I, I do think people will look back at it though and be like, hey, how'd this team make the finals? Because there's always that thing of like, hey, were these really the two best teams? And the answer is no. And this has happened before. In 2005, the Pistons and Spurs made the finals, but you can argue that they weren't the two best teams. I know my Heat had Dwayne Wade and Shaq. They were up 3-2 in the Eastern Conference Finals. Wade hurts his shoulder. They lose to the Pistons. I think the Heat were better than the Pistons. I'm, I'm not even biased. I just think paper, on paper and in practice, they were better. So it happens from time to time. Um, so that's probably my final stance here. But going back to your Lakers, though, what what's the move? As dumb as it sounds, where do you go from here? Because you've got these two guys locked up. Yeah. Are you so banking? I, you want, I'll let you take the floor here for a bit. Okay. So there's some stuff that Lakers definitely need to do management-wise, or not management-wise, but like get acquiring players. We definitely need to get a point guard, a better point guard, and we can use Schroeder as a very good tra- uh, tra- uh, trading piece. Um, we also, what I would, Drummond has pretty much said that he's not going to be coming back. So we also do need to, uh, uh, what's it called? I think Frank Vogel said that he he is like looking to play AD as the five. And if he does do that, I think we need a, another shooting guard as well. And Or if he doesn't move AD up to the five, I think we definitely need another center. Because Montrez, Harold, I, I don't know. he We have not been giving him enough minutes, which I do not agree with. Because he six past six man of the year, like, we need he, to be he's a, At the very least, he's a good regular season player. Yeah, uh, if if he does, uh, if we do keep him and not trade him, uh, I feel like we should be playing him more than he is. He's definitely undervalued, um, but also his height uh, is making him. Uh, it, w- it would be very difficult. Like him on DeAndre Aiden didn't really work out in the fu- uh, in the first round this year. So uh, maybe we can look to trade him. Although I would really not like that, but. I think, like, as far as point guards-wise, uh, definitely number one target should be Damian Lillard, especially because he, he – I think after – you on the, Are you on the stand of trading Kyle Kuzma in one pick for Damian Lillard? <laughs> I mean, if, if, if the, uh, if the uh, Blazers were dumb enough to accept that, then yes. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop you real quick. I found a conspiracy theory online. Uh, there's been, not even reports. People just threw it out there. I just want to hear your opinion. Uh, Damian Lillard for Anthony Davis straight up. 
I would actually really, really like that. Damian Lillard's my favorite player in the NBA. So, <laughs> um, so I would love it if he came to the Lakers. Um, it, it, even if it was for AD. AD is just so much more injury prone than Dame. And I feel like uh, Dame with uh, just like all around, like he's a much, I feel like he's a much more clutch player than AD. Um, and I feel like uh, him, I feel like LeBron and AD, that is a great duo in and of itself. But I think uh, they can they can do a better job of incorporating the whole team if we do get Damian Lillard. But I, I haven't seen a lot of that too, Dame for AD straight up. And I, I've, I, I wouldn't be pissed if Lakers did it, despite it, even though I do love AD. Um, I, it wouldn't be the worst thing. So to summarize this season for the Lakers, I think that this sounds so dumb, but I'm going to go with it right now. I think that there was a big media bias for all of their signings this past season, especially with like getting Marcus Gasol, for instance. As much as I love Marcus Gasol, he, he had like razor blades for feet. He was terrible. Even yeah, no, he, play, he played so bad for us. He, he I, I don't ever usually like to say this about players, but he is washed. Like, yeah, no, he's he's washed right for sure. And even guys like Wesley Matthews, I think I think the big problem for this Lakers team is that. There's, there's two issues I have in mind. One is that there's no marginal way to improve the roster, like big, big time. Because you're out of assets from the Anthony Davis trade. You, your best like, trade pieces are Tucker or Horton Tucker, um, Kuzma, and I guess like that one first round pick they can trade now that the uh, picks are starting to go bye-bye. Yeah, and then also we do have um, – I, I would also look into Schroeder. As a, well, as a trade. I'll stop. The other problem is the Schroeder component because there's this thing that there's this issue with the Lakers right now where it's like if you let him walk because he's too expensive, you lose Dennis Schroeder, the player who's who was as much as he's like not my favorite of the point guards, he is still a solid starter that you know can score and give you hustle plays. On the other hand, though, do you want to overpay him to the point where, as you point out, he can't be a trade piece because now his contract is you know. Four for ninety-five million when he's not worth it. Like I don't know if you want to pay Dennis Schroeder twenty-three million a year or whatever it is, and I think yeah. that's the conundrum if you're the Lakers right now. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like Lakers just need to do something to acquire a good point guard, regardless if it's Dame or not. Like even if we can get like a Derrick Rose type, like a le- a lesser value, like obviously. Um, I honestly think Derrick Rose might be perfect. I, the yeah, ideal that, guy. That, that's that's another one who I really would. Who I, I liked him back in the day. It's been tough the past few years, though. Um, he hasn't been himself or his old self. But uh, yeah, if he if he did, uh, I, I, he's another player who I'd love to see. Um, just. Any like decent point guard, I feel like could be good. Well, the the ideal gu- the ideal guy for you would be. Uh, Kyle Lowry declines his player option, takes a one-year minimum with the Lakers. Yeah, yeah that that would that would be, be like your heaven. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> the the perfect third guy uh, doesn't need the ball in his hands. Can be, can be a microwave score off the bench if he's uh, obviously starting, but then coming off the bench maybe gives AD the ball in pick and roll. LeBron can be in the corner taking breaks on possessions. That would be like the perfect guy for you. It's I don't know. I don't think it's gonna happen, but it's dream scenario. Another player who is also really good to look into is DeMar DeRozan, because um, we can definitely use his in, like his point guard skills and his inside shooting, his mid range. But if we did get him, I, I would definitely say we need another shooter type. Like 
if we could get if we could get an outside shooter like a good solid outside shooter such as like Kev, a Kevin Herter or a JJ Redick back in the day like just any like good perimeter shooter who can knock down consistent outside shots like that's who I'd want to acquire that that's someone else who I think would go great on the Lakers roster because Lakers roster right now is a lot of inside game and so uh, definitely looking in. So, uh, Michael, I have two questions for you. The first one's a pretty simple one, but it's one I've thought about for a while. I think I think I know my answer to this. Do you think it was worth it for the Lakers to trade all those picks and assets for Anthony Davis? Looking 100%. at it right now. 100%. I mean, although he is injured, I don't think Lakers would have even had a show. Like, I don't think Lakers would have got their title last year, uh, nor would they have even been nearly as good as they were this year. Uh, Lon- Lonzo Ball, he... I hate him. <laughs> uh, sorry, Lonzo, if you happen to listen to this podcast. <laughs> uh, no, but I, I, uh, I just there have been talks about Lonzo coming back to the Lakers, and I'm like, please no, God no, um, please, for the love of God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, but I wish we did have Brandon Ingram because I think he he has really great potential, but like. I, I think I think the guy I don't, I think that would have been unrealistic, but I think you know who they really needed? Josh Hart. They really yeah. needed they, I don't think they had to throw him. I think they really needed that three and D energy twenty minute a game guy off the bench. And I, I agree with you hundred percent here. I just want to get this narrative out of the way now. I think anytime you have a trade like this for a top five guy, you do it. No matter what the value is. Especially where People forget that not only did the Lakers win the past title in dominant fashion, but even this season before all the injuries, the Lakers were what, like 26 and 6 or 24 and 6? Like they were cruising the first third of the season. Yeah, and then, and then we just got. Yeah, injuries. Yeah. I mean, and LeBron had a whole MVP case. They had no AD or LeBron for like yeah, a whole month. Exactly. That was like the beginning of the season. Yeah. Like the, the odds of LeBron getting AD, because I used to be into sports betting, uh, he was like the favorite for a minute. Like he was the favorite for a while. Yeah, I remember doing a pod early on. Like it was like the sixth episode on this. It was the fifth episode because I remember where it was. It was like uh, late March or early or uh, late February, early March, and I had LeBron number two in my voting. I and it was because yeah. of how good he was. And I think we don't have to spend too much more time on the Lakers, but I think the the final line here is I think we both agree here that they need to make a move. They need basically some third guy, whatever it is. But I don't know how we're going to get that. I, I agree. I agree. The, the next team I want to move on to has been more in the news recently. That's the Dallas Mavericks. Um, a, a, a crazy offseason. Rick Carlisle retires, quote-unquote, and then goes to the Pacers. They hired Jason Kidd, former uh, 2011 Dallas Mavericks champion, former player, failed stint in multiple franchises, his third attempt as a coaching in a coaching job. They get a new general man or a head of basketball operations, some major big guy from Nike that is apparently supposed to boost the intrigue to, you know, bring players and superstars to Dallas. And then there's the big the big component, which is the Kristaps Porzingis, what the hell do you do with him side of this? Uh, I want to get started with that first. If you're Dallas, what do you do with Kristaps? Because I don't know what you do here, honestly, if you're in the, uh, the Mavericks shoes right now. So. It's actually kind of funny that you brought this up because I was actually looking into this whole situation between Luca and uh, Porzingis uh, the other day. I was watching some videos, and from what I've seen, Por- the Mavericks have not been using him right. When he sets like a high pick and roll for Luca, uh, Luca oftentimes comes off of it, and he- 
oftentimes he'll get double teamed and he'll force up a bad shot. Occasionally he'll go in, but I was watching a lot of plays where there was a pass right back to Porzingis, uh, and he was wide open from threes. And this was like pretty much every game you can find at least a few clips like that in. Um, and I know that's not mainly Porzingis's game and shooting threes, but he was wide open. I think that it's just the chemistry between Luca and Porzingis is not there. And I think that you, you need to find another player to surround Luca with. So I would say you definitely do, uh, you should definitely look to get, uh, doing something with Porzingis, like trade or uh, otherwise. So you're in the camp of moving on from Porzingis rather than trying to you know do the reclamation project? Uh, I am, because I, I as much as I think that they can, there's also all this like beef. I, I don't know too much about it, if it actually exists. I just know what the media has been saying about Luca and Porzingis, like, Luca was mad because Porzingis was going out to clubs and stuff, or, like, he went to a bar or something during the uh, playoffs this year. Like, he, uh, just because of this, I, I don't see that relationship getting any better. Um, so I think that you do need to surround Luca with someone that, who he can work better with. Um, well, and the so other... I, the other thing is that ideally Porzingis hasn't been the guy that Dallas paid for because the, the idea behind Porzingis was to be this second banana to Luka, this shop blocking two-way big that can stretch out the paint so he's not clogging the paint for Luka, but can also cover his back and pick and roll, especially uh, as a help defender and a, a rim protector. And he's been the opposite of that. He's one of the worst scorers. He, he's one of the worst outside. He's, he's basically like a big man, a shooting guard trapped in a big man's body. Is the way best way to put it. Terrible defensively. He has like quicksand every time he's walking in a pick and roll. On offense, as you point out, partly Dallas is using him the wrong way. But the other time, Porzingis just sucks. There's no other way to put it. Like in post-up situations against smaller guys, we saw this with the Clippers in back-to-back postseasons. They are switching pick and rolls and putting a smaller guy on Porzingis. And Porzingis isn't taking advantage of it. They would either make him shoot a fadeaway, like, you know, 16 feet out over a guy. They wouldn't make him drive because he's not aggressive. Luka would have to do a, a dribble drive against Kawhi or Paul George on the switch. That's a, that's a, 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 incredible. It's not – it's unfair. The problem, though, is here for Dallas is that which team is looking for Porzingis right now? Because I don't know if you can name any off the top of your head. Because I can't. Yeah, I mean – I think that Porzingis, like, I haven't heard of too many teams, like like you said, uh, looking at him. I feel like once uh, – that, that's actually a really good point. I feel like – Well, he has a big contract, though. That's the problem is that he, he's, got, he's getting paid, like, three years or something, you know, a hundred-something million dollars. I think if you're Dallas, you have to agree. They probably have to attach a couple first-rounders to get off $90 million in dead salaries because of basically what it is. And there's yeah. no ideal suitor who's like – it would have to be something that has loads, loads of cap space, wants these assets to you know begin a rebuild, but then also has something that Dallas can use. So the thing I've seen mainly is like San Antonio. That's been a, a key one. Like San Antonio under Greg Popovich revives Porzingis. The Mavericks get like Keldon Johnson or some rookie and like – Dallas gives up a first-round pick. But other than that, though, I don't know what you do if you're Dallas here. And it affects the future because Luka's going to be on a Supermax. If he gets paid, he'll be on a Supermax. They need to improve the roster and get a second shot career that's not Trey Burke and Tim Hardaway Jr. And I think, ironically, Dallas is kind of in a similar situation with the Lakers. Where 
they need to improve. They know what they need, but to get those pieces, they don't have the assets or the, the cap space or the itinerary or the, the materials needed to do that. Yeah, I mean, let's see. Where where else could he go? I, I could see him on the Knicks maybe because – Oh, like a, a return to New York? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I could I could honestly see that right now. Like, How about a Dennis Schroeder for Porzingis swap if, you know, Dennis Schroeder gets $35 million. <laughs> He 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 doesn't want to get paid twenty million. So I think maybe if you give him a max. I'd rather have Schroeder. I'm sorry. I <laughs> Schroeder's just more prove it. Like I, I'm I'm actually, just joking with you. But I get what you mean though. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, Schroeder definitely would want if if we do extend him. Uh, I, I'd probably look to keeping him. Um, like unless we can do something to get another point, a better point guard. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the the best way I think. I think Dallas is again like it's like other teams. They're in a pickle right now and they're really lacking. They they really did make a mistake by trading for Porzingis. I think they're really banking on him coming back from this ACL injury and it ended up being not that case. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we have two more free agent things to talk about here. The first is Kawhi Leonard, which is a headache. Uh, ACL injury, but God knows what because the transparency between that is never going to happen and we're never going to find out until the end of time. But I have to ask you here. So Kawhi Leonard right now has an interesting contract situation. So he could he has he has a player option. Now that he has an ACL injury, he has multiple paths. He can opt in for this season with that player option, accepting it, and then sign this five year supermax deal. He can decline the player option now and sign like a four year supermax, or he can walk. Um, if you're Los Angeles, do you give him the four year max if he declines the player option? Or the the five year max, pardon me, the five year max. If he declines the player option, um, so five years, two hundred million dollars on the table for Kawhi. I, I don't see what else the Clippers could do if they lose Kawhi. So I would definitely say that they should offer it to him. Um, and I think that I do think that he will uh, go along with the player option, just because I think LA is where he ultimately wants to end up, like living. Like outside of it, that's why I don't think he ended up staying in Toronto, um, and why he did ultimately come to the Clippers. He didn't want to build the, uh, the that trio and for the Lakers, which I understand his decision, and instead he went to the Clippers. Um, I do think he did that primarily because of the location. Uh, like a lot of players do want to live in LA, so I would be surprised if he did turn down his player option. But uh, if he did. I do think that the Clippers should offer him the five-year supermax. Do Do you think, even despite the injuries, though, and all that, that he's worth it? Because I think I think the only the only drawback I have though is that I'm worried that when Kawhi signs this contract, he'll be like 35 years old with a bunch of knee problems, and you're asking him to be your best player because you're going to pay him like one. If you're paying, if the cap space is you know 120 million, a third of your cap space is going to go to Kawhi Leonard. It, do you think that's like a good idea? Because I, I think you have to. I think you make a good point. If you're Los Angeles, it's like you don't want to lose Kawhi. You kind of have to do this. Yeah. But do you think it's a good idea? Like even ignoring the Kawhi factor, just like on paper, is it a good idea? Because I don't think it men- is. Now that you mention it, like thinking about it like in the long term, it might not be. But what what would the Clippers do if they didn't keep Kawhi? Because now if they don't have Kawhi, they're kind of a falling out organization. They they had a good shot this year, first time ever getting past the second round. Uh, Paul George, like 
Uh, Paul George, I don't think he can single-handedly carry any team. So if they don't hold on to Kawhi, who do you think that they can replace him with? That's the problem. I think you bring up an excellent point is that there's no, yet again, a marginal way to improve this roster by letting the asset go. Unless you, okay. the, the only realistic way to do this, if you're Los Angeles, to stay competitive but also don't lock yourself to $200 million in cap space, is a sign-and-trade. So if, if in the, the hypothetical, like, everything goes to hell world where Kawhi doesn't want to stay in Los Angeles for some reason, and he has discord with both the Clippers and doesn't want to go to Los Angeles, the Lakers, it would have to be a sign and trade. I, don't th- I think the most likely option is that he either accepts the player option or just declines and gets the Supermax. Because on the, you have to look at guys like Kevin Durant and some of these, uh, these superstars where they get injured and still get paid max money or near max money. I think that we're in this era where like it's either that or nothing. I think that a team, when they have the opportunity to get Kawhi, no matter in what form, they're going to sign Kawhi. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. The, the last topic really quick I want to bring up is um, Damian Lillard. Obviously, your favorite player, and there's been this whole conundrum with Portland, the Chauncey Billups hiring and the whole backlash on Twitter thing that was, you know, a complete dumpster fire. Um, the reports that came out today that – uh, Damon Little would request requested a trade or yeah, would you know, request a trade soon. That's what that's what I've been seeing a lot. But well, well, then to, and then to pause you there, and then he goes on a press conference at Team USA and says, "I'm not requesting a trade, but I think that the Blazers need to wake up when it comes to improving the roster." First off, I need to know right now, and I need to get your opinion on this since he's your favorite player. Is he in a Portland Blazers uniform to start the NBA season this upcoming season? I do not think so. What's what do you think is the ideal destination for Portland? Because I've been a huge fan of him to six to Philadelphia, like Ben Simmons and you know a, a couple picks for Dame, for to Philly. Uh, <laughs> not not a huge fan of that one. I I no, no I hate I hate Philly. I meant not Ben Simmons. I hate Philly. <laughs> uh, I hate Joel Embiid. Hate him. Hate him. Hate him. Hate him. Um, yeah, I, I don't. It would actually. I feel like he could be a good fit there, um, play style wise. It, like you did mention, but I I feel like he's gonna want to stay. I feel like he's gonna end up staying on the West Coast. Um, I have been seeing a lot about the Warriors. I don't think. Yeah, there's like, there's that Warriors thing where it's like Wiggins, um, maybe Ubre in a sign and trade, Wiseman and like the two picks for Dame. Yeah, I, I mean they definitely have a lot to offer. I don't think. That he one sec, I got <laughs> Is that that's Damian Lillard's like ghost telling you don't trade me? <laughs> no, it's saying trade me to the Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> I you know what the interesting destination is? It's Denver. Denver's a sneaky one because if you just if you give up on you can either do the give up on Jamal Murray route or you can trade Michael Porter Jr. for Dame. Yeah, if you give up on Jamal Murray, that could actually—they they could turn into something. The, Bla- the Blazers get a young I guard. I mean, Nuggets right now as just like a solid like six seed for the next few years. Like I don't see them improving when they ha- when there are other fully healthy records because Lakers are going to be ahead of them. I think Dallas, if they do the right stuff, they'll be ahead of the Nuggets. Clippers, if they're healthy, they'll be ahead of the Nuggets. So I see Clippers being like a solid six seed unless they can do something this offseason. And that could actually be something. I haven't seen anything about it, but that could actually be something to look into if you, you are Denver. That could that should that right there, losing Jamal Murray and maybe some other assets uh, could be a way to go. Because then you got Michael Porter Jr. as well, uh, MVP Yoke. Um, yeah, MVP Yoke. Like, like I, 
I think that team, like, I think the chemistry between Jokic and Dame would actually work out so well. Yeah. Um, I, so, yeah. I think the one problem uh, with Portland, with the trading, because on the one hand, if you trade Damian Lillard, the best time to trade him is right now. As dumb as it sounds, because he's entering his, his early 30s, so obviously point guards minus John Stockton and Chris Paul never age well in their, early th- in their 30s period, historically at least. He just came off a career year, All-NBA, second team, arguably first team, or one of the two, but he's basically been a top five or ten guy for the last three years or so. This would be the time to do it, especially before he gets paid a crap ton where it's like four years and a hundred and God knows what million dollars. Yeah, exactly, and when he could be a bust. Yeah, and on the other and on the other hand, if you're a team, let's say I don't know, like a team in, in particular, but Damian Lillard is under contract, so you have a top ten player under contract right now. Teams are looking for that. Teams are as you kind of take years away from the contract, the value goes less and less. Like we've seen this before, like Kyrie Irving, for instance, where it's like Cleveland wanted to trade Kyrie partly because he had one year left, and he knew that like if you waited, they like all that sort of stuff, that whole shenanigan. So I think if you're poor, I, if I were poor, I would trade Damian Lillard. I think that you get the max value now. You're not going anywhere in the Western Conference. I think they're their best. Their best. What is it? Are they that best a five seed in like a good day? Yeah, maybe probably. maybe a six seed. I don't know. Like they're not. Maybe I don't like. Let's see. It honestly. In an ideal world, I don't think they get past four. I really yeah. don't think so. And I think that's the problem, though, is that even in a best-case scenario, where are they, a second-round team? Like, do they make the conference semis and lose in game six? Like, that's my problem. And I think C.J. McCollum is your second-best player is a no-go. Nurkic is not a good Injured. center. No. Injured, yeah. So I think if you're Portland, you'd probably trade Damian Lillard. If I were in their shoes. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh yeah, and it, Help me to the Lakers. Yeah, well, and especially with this narrative that like you don't want to have the James Harden thing happen, where midseason your team get or like not even like two weeks in your team gets plundered and then all of a sudden toxic environment. But then on the other hand, though, Portland needs to pick a direction though, because then it's like, why did you sign Chauncey Billups to a five year deal if not to please Damian Lillard? It's ridiculous. So, I, so I'll get my final prediction from you now. Do you think? Damian, do you think Damian Lillard gets traded um, to a team that we're th- that we've already talked about, like a Denver or a Philly, or do you think it's gonna be some team like the Knicks, for instance, that just come out of nowhere with some massive offer, like the Pelicans or some godforsaken team? What do you think? I think it will be somewhere we have talked about. I it, the media has obviously talked about Lakers and Warriors a bunch, but I do think I could see him at both Denver and Philly. So I think one of those. Uh, four for sure uh, he will end up at alright well Zach we'll have more off season for sure uh, or things to talk about for sure but that's going to be the end of this pod thank you first time again on the pod so pleasure to have you yeah pleasure being here thank you